0: What we are considering in this study in 2 Corinthians is an overview of whether or not you and I are most closely related to, most familiar with, and perhaps even under the influence of either Paul and his associates as ministers of the New Covenant, or are we more aligned and familiar with, and even under the influence Uh, what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 11, the super apostles or the most eminent apostles. Now, this is a very important fork in the road. And the New Testament, of course, is filled with these crossroads. And every Christian comes up to these crossroads throughout their life. and, And especially in American Christianity, we have to pause from time to time and consider which road we're on. Uh, The roads are marked clearly this way to heaven, both roads, but only one way leads to heaven. And 2 Corinthians is an excellent study about how that the Corinthian church, after having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul and his associates who ministered to them in the Spirit, "...as ministers of the new covenant of the Spirit, not of the letter," he says in 2 Corinthians 3, "...but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life." And then Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to elaborate on the ministry of the Spirit, which is the ministry of the gospel. Or do we fall into line with those who were actual ministers of the letter, even though the letter kills, and the character and the um, uh, ministry ethic of these super apostles, which is really uh, Paul's concession to the Corinthians, because these false teachers had come along, these Jewish itinerant preachers had come along following behind Paul and, and began to point out that, that Paul was weak He was unimpressive in his stature. He was unimpressive in his speaking. Uh, They began to question his gospel as being a true gospel because he was not emphasizing circumcision where they were. He he was not uh, emphasizing uh, the Jewish state where they were. They were uh, not—Paul was not emphasizing uh, justification by faith and works where they were. Uh, And these men were much more articulate. They were much more charismatic. They were much more powerful in their natural gifts. They were much more um, uh, willing to charge for their preaching. Uh, They were much more, frankly, more exploitive, more oppressive— Paul refers to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in fact. Let me look here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, actually, verse 17, as peddlers of the word of God. Peddlers of the word of God. So Paul isn't pulling any punches here, and neither should we. What I want for you is to realize that these super apostles, uh, at the time of Paul, have never ceased to be a plague upon the Christian church, upon the, the body of Christ, and upon the mind of the average Christian. So what we have in Second Corinthians is a very personal letter written by the Apostle Paul, appealing to his converts in Corinth, appealing to them to not transfer their affections away from him and Timothy and his associates, And two, these super apostles. I hope you heard what I just said. There was a contrast. There's this propensity in American Christianity to uh, perceive anyone who claims to be a preacher of the gospel to be just that, a preacher of the gospel. And in American Christianity, the more successful we are by worldly standards, we kind of transfer that into the church and say, well, yeah, look at this guy is very eloquent. He's very charming. He's very um, informed. He's got credentials. Whereas in the old European church, you had to be ordained. You had to wear a collar and vestments, and you you lived off a stipend uh, from the church. And uh, there was there was an elevated clergy. Where in America we elevate our pastors as well, but we want them to be charming and inspirational and funny, and we want them to be um, successful. We want them to have. Uh, we we are, we value these men because they have book deals and they're they're popular conference speakers. And in other words, please hear me now. We like a lot of our celebrity pastors, even in the most conservative evangelical circles. We like these men for the same reasons that the Corinthians were drawn to the super apostles, those whom Paul referred to as the super apostles, in 2 Corinthians 11.5. So, this is worthy of our self-examination. What do we want? Do we want pastors and teachers and leaders who, in whom the power of Christ is manifested through men who are willing to be anonymous, to be humble, to be unconditionally obedient to the revealed will of God, or are we looking for some celebrity pastor? Somebody we can be proud of. Somebody can say, hey, come to our church on Sunday and listen to our pastor. He's very entertaining, very good speaker, very good. Oh, and he keeps the whole crowd laughing. And, and sometimes he keeps us crying, too, with his great stories. And, and he, you know, he has a, a, a Ph.D. in theology. Yes, and he from the one of the finest seminary. And we go right down that road. That the Corinthians were going down, in Second Corinthians. So let's let me just remind you, and just a kind of a quick overview here of what we're talking about. First of all, we're talking about the difference between Paul and his associates, men who regularly suffered for the sake of the gospel. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter, he's writing from a damp Roman prison unsanitary, damp Roman prison. Uh, There were no prisoners' rights back in those days. Uh, The only right you had was not to escape without getting stuck by the sword. And so uh, they didn't give you food or medicine or blankets. If the people that cared about you didn't bring those things to you, you just went without. And sometimes people would just die in their prison cell. From infection, from hunger, from thirst. It wasn't like our prisons today. And so Paul says in First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse eight: For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even to live. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. And that this happens so that we would not have confidence in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So Paul was constantly, and his associates were constantly being persecuted, being and suffering, even to the point of uh, despairing for life itself. But he paints us a picture here, saying, "You know what? That's not a bad thing." <laughs> And this is this is where we as American Christians get a little nervous. Because Paul is saying, you know, it wasn't a bad thing that we despaired even for life. We we had the sentence of death within ourselves. We thought we were goners. But then we realized that this happened, that we came out of that experience with a whole new depth and breadth of reliance upon God who raises the dead. Isn't this wonderful? And we, as a comfort-loving American Christians, might say, well, no, it doesn't sound very wonderful to me. <laughs> what if we had a notice given on Sunday uh, that we were going to have an apostle come and speak on Sunday, and he was going to tell us about all of his exploits and how he suffered and how he was... Uh, uh, driven to the point of despair and even for life and, and how he was shipwrecked and was the point of starvation and uh, adrift on the sea for two days and three nights and, and so on and so on. I, and, and, then, and then he says, by the way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, Paul is reminding us that we follow a crucified Savior, a risen Lord to be sure, but a crucified Savior. And that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, in other words, all those who desire to live like Jesus lived, will suffer the rejection, the persecution, and the um, even the pains of life, uh, the despairing for life, as Jesus did. So this is not a, a victorious, triumphant approach that Paul is given here. Let me just give you another couple of quick examples. Uh, So, by implication, by the way, by implication, the super apostles, though they be false teachers, were very attractive and very eloquent, very charismatic, and they were very self-reliant, very reliant upon their own charm and personality to wow the people. Paul said, "I, I don't, I'm in the position where I'm losing my self-reliance. So if you're, if you're looking for an apostle who, who is self-reliant, I'm not your guy. So in Second Corinthians chapter two, I've already mentioned this, verse 17. He says, "For we are not like many." That's an important word to underline in your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 17. For we are not like many, peddling the word of God for profit. But as from sincerity, but as from God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul is saying, either you, have, you do ministry the way we do it as apostles. Uh, God has appointed we apostles to walk in the blood-stained footprints of Jesus. We are to follow a crucified Savior. We are to follow in his footprints. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first, said Jesus. Now I realize that this is, the things I'm saying to you here are not very popular within American Christianity. We are told constantly that by receiving Jesus, we're going to get our best life now. And that a purpose-driven life is ours available if we just receive Jesus. If we just become a Christian. If we just join the church. That we can have success. We can have prosperity. We can have health. We can have victory. We can have triumph. We can be constantly blessed. Happy, clappy, shiny people. But that's not biblical Christianity. But what's so powerful about what Paul is displaying here is that life happens. Whether you sign on for it or not, folks, life is going to happen. And if you are genuinely in Christ, if you are a servant of Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus and the surpassing value in your life is Jesus himself, then you are going to experience rejection. You're going to experience some sense of isolation. You're going to experience some sense of being outside the camp. And what that means to you is that um, you have to be prepared for that. But what's so powerful, what Paul is saying in this letter, is that it is through those experiences that you begin to realize the intimacy that you have with the risen Christ. You begin to realize that God is truly forming your character, your thinking, your way of uh, looking at the world, your way of treating others, your way of service in Christ to model, to be conformed to the image of Christ himself. So as he was in the world, so are you. And there's joy, transcendent joy, there's transcendent comfort in second corinthians 4 excuse me second corinthians chapter 1 we are told that god is the god of all comfort so paul's saying yes i have all of this suffering going on i have all this rejection going on and no i'm not impressive no i'm not an eloquent speaker but i do have knowledge i do know christ and I do know the comfort of God that comes to me in my discomfort, that comes to me in my weaknesses, the strength of God, the power of God that comes to me in my weaknesses. See, you, you've got to be willing, folks. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this is a very important study for we American Christians. What I want, and what I want for you, is to be quite convinced and clear that I'm walking in the footprints of the apostle who is indeed walking in the footprints of Jesus. The road, the pathway to the kingdom of God has only one set of footprints in it, and they're blood stained footprints. And they're the footprints of Jesus. And Paul is walking lockstep in those footprints. And he's calling us to do the same here. In chapter 3, he refers to himself and his associates as those who God has commended, God has made adequate, God has made sufficient to be ministers of the New Covenant. Verse 6 of chapter 3, who also made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's something to be a minister of the new covenant, of the Spirit, is a work of God. It's not something you just rise up from your desk one day and say, listen, I'm going to go to seminary and I'm going to become a minister of the New Covenant. No, that's something you have to be called of God to do. And folks, every believer is called to be in one form or one shape or another a minister of the New Covenant. He says in verse 4, chapter 3, and such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. The super apostles felt that their sufficiency was from themselves. You you are you're familiar already, most likely, if you've been in Christ for any length of time, you're already familiar with this contrast. Remember, for instance, the uh, parable that Jesus spoke of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood before God all proud and said, I thank you, O God, that I'm not like other men, especially like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I own, I do this, I do that. In the meantime, The tax collector is over pounding his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It was Jesus who said it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went away justified. Over and over again, the Lord Jesus presented in his parables these stories of people who were self-sufficient, self-reliant, and didn't make it in. Nicodemus is such a story, even in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. He was a member of the 70 elders of Israel, the Sanhedrin. He was their appointed spokesperson. So when he went to meet Jesus at night, he told Jesus, came with a message from the Sanhedrin, saying, we've examined you and we've determined, indeed, Jesus, that you are a prophet. So you, uh, Nicodemus had come from the Sanhedrin, in John chapter 3, to ordain Jesus, if you will, to give him the seal of approval from the Sanhedrin. We acknowledge that you are a prophet because no man can do the miracles they do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus came to Jesus with the upper hand. He came to Jesus in a, if you will, a condescending stance toward Jesus. Jesus but acknowledging him as a prophet. Nicodemus had all the Jewish credentials necessary to be assured in himself that he would enter the kingdom of the Messiah when it came about. And what did Jesus say? We know what he said. Jesus did mince words. He cut right to the chase and said, you must be born again. Unless you are born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So those are just a couple of other examples of the self-sufficiency that the gospel completely mortifies within us, completely crucifies. And it's not so we can walk around pathetic and, and needy and, and, and blanked out. No, it's, it's so that we can understand where our sufficiency comes from. Where our confidence lies. We all, we all have confidence. We must have confidence. But Paul is telling us here in 2 Corinthians that we are to have confidence in, uh, in God. We're to have confidence in the one who raises the dead, not in our ability to stay alive. We are to be, uh, our sufficiency to be ministers of the new covenant has to come from God, not our studies, not our credentials not our ordination certificate, not our masters of divinity or doctorate. Those, those things are fine and good in and of themselves, but our sufficiency to be ministers of the new covenant of the Spirit are, is to come from God, whereas the super apostles rely only on their credentials, on their personal and natural abilities. I mean, I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. I've studied both at the university level and the seminary level. I've studied at a college level. I mean, we are prepared. I've been in homiletics class. I've been told how to present a good sermon. I'm a trained speaker. But if I place my sufficiency to reach you and anyone else with those credentials, I've missed the point. My sufficiency as a minister of the new covenant comes from God, not from my credentials. In chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, and we'll close with this today, he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, no one in the ministry And every Christian, one degree or another, is in ministry. Is there, for any reason or by any means, except mercy? We receive mercy. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because our sufficiency and our confidence is not in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead, and in the God who empowers ministry, we do not lose heart. Because... We don't have to look to ourselves. And then in verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You hear the implication there? Paul is saying that there are those who are not only peddlers of the word of God. They have an agenda other than actually pastoral. But they also have hidden things of shame. They exercise craftiness. They adulterate or distort the word of God in order to advance their own personal career, their ministry career. Way back in the day, I saw a friend of mine that I'd been in business with at one time, and I was in ministry at the time. I saw him again, and he related to me on a business level. He said, so, hey, Rick, so how's the ministry business? (laughs) See, if I were a super apostle, I'd say, well, you know, it's not going too good yet. I've got to get a lot more people in my church, and... And hopefully I get the council to give me a higher stipend and a little few more benefits. And I'm hoping to get a book deal out next year and that might uh, bring in some money. And that's what the super apostles are doing. So let me close with this question. I don't want to keep any of these episodes too long. I want to give you something to think about. And please, I beg you, think about it. Pray about it. Read Second Corinthians. You can pull it up on YouTube and listen to it. It takes probably 25 or 28 minutes to listen through uh, Second Corinthians. And I beg you to consider what I'm saying. Let's make sure that you and I are under the influence of the Apostle Paul, and Peter, and James, and John and not these modern super-apostles. I know people, I do counseling with people who have spent decades under these super-apostles ministries. And I'm always astonished how shallow they are and how little they know of the Bible and how, frankly, wrecked they are personally. The super apostles, the modern super apostles, these guys who would have opposed Paul in his day, are no less crafty and destructive than they were during Paul's day. And just because somebody's sharp and charismatic and eloquent, doesn't mean that they are sent of God. So let's look at these things together. Let's continue. I invite you to come back and you continue to look at this series in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul and the Hucksters, Paul and the Super Apostles, and so on. And let's get through this together and let's make some conclusion together so we can have that confidence that we are actually following Paul as he follows Jesus. Amen? Amen.